everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm super excited. And I probably should be a little bit less not so excited, but I'm excited to talk about mental health because I think it's really important. And I am excited always to have Lenny Terenzi on. Good, good friend of mine, but he also has a great story. And he has gone through a ton. We all have, right? We have gone. Matt Wood, you're going to love this. Um, but Lenny's also in the middle of a journey right now. And I think it's so ballsy to be able, because that's a safe word. My mom's okay with ballsy. Maybe she doesn't know what that means. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and Alicia Cologne's here too. Hey. Um, My heart, Alicia. So one of the things, I, I just think it's ballsy when you come on in the middle of a journey and you reach out and you tell people because you have no idea who else is in the middle of that journey right there with you, who is, um, like Matt Wood would say, climbing on shaky legs. And I just think that it's really powerful when you can stand up and you can share because you, you know that you, when you are in the middle of it, you really get hit because you realize when you being bold and courageous helps somebody else to keep going and push forward, right? So yeah. I better get a tissue because I'm already tearing up. Look at, I'm such a weepy. <laughs> there he Aww. goes. My, uh, my, um, my excitement turns to tears. Did you see Diane cry today? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and if you didn't, it's okay. You'll see her cry tomorrow. Right. All right. So play me a Google commercial, people. I'm such a sap. So today is episode 325, and I'm excited to have okay. Lenny Terenzi on. So Lenny, just in case, because some people might not know you, my new friend Annie from Cheshire, England, right? I think it was Cheshire. Anyway, she's from England. Maybe not from there, but she lives there now. Um, can you give um, them a background, a little bit of your background of who you are and, um, and, and what you do for work uh, right now? Yeah. Um... So who I am, uh, Lenny Terenzi, I am 46 years old, uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Um, I am a jack of all trades, master of none. I've done design, illustration, screen printing, public speaking, workshopping, um, heavily involved with several design communities. Uh, most prominently, uh, I'm currently president of AIGA Raleigh. Uh, my right hand, uh, Amy, is in here, vice president of AIJ Raleigh, uh, and then other, most prominently, uh, Creative South. Uh, you know, I've become a big part of that as well. Um, yes, if you've ever seen me speak, like Tina said, I tend to come out in some sort of blazer jacket game. Um, I've been in the industry, I started professionally in 1992, uh, was my first real design job. Uh, and I've worn an infinite amount of hats and positions. But just and say things. some. So you yeah. have been a you've been a creative director. You've done your own studio. You've done screen print. You've done workshops for screen print, teaching people how to screen print. Yes. Um, you're an illustrator. You've yeah. done digital design. There's you really have worn a lot of hats. So yes. just for people who um, are like fitting that bill or are yeah. wanting to fit that bill, you've done that. You also have a, a daughter who's also a creative, right? I think that can be always yes. a challenge, right? Yep. She's an amazing yes. photographer. <laughs> She's a fantastic photographer. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but she is actually a fantastic artist. Um, she has, has, has ripped out a couple of uh, portraits of friends and stuff like that, pencil work. Um, wow. She's never shown it. She probably never will. Um, 
but yeah, my girl's got game. She does for sure. All right. So then tell us, um, you've told us a little bit of your background, um, and what this past year has been like, this is like your coming out, uh, interview, I think. Um, and where you are job wise and creatively wise, like, um, you went from doing Hey Monkey Design solo, mm -hmm. only doing that. And then you went back and it kind of like Jason Karn, right? He worked for himself for a long time and then went back. Um, he worked for someone else. And then now he's gone back to working for himself again. And I think sometimes we flip-flop in the industry. And it has to do with um, what our path is creatively. I think we it's not it's not a wrong turn to go from working for yourself to working for somebody else, right? Sure, sure. And I'll touch on some of this when I get to sort of my presentation part, but I'll sort of intro it and it'll kind of weave together like a Quentin Tarantino movie without the cursing. Um, yeah, so for now, yeah, my daughter turned 20. So for 20 years, uh, I've worked for myself. Um, you know, in that span, I've done contracts with agencies and stuff, long-term contracts, but I've essentially worked for myself for, for two decades for better or for worse. Um, and, uh, recently, uh, with a lot of the things I faced in the last year, year plus, uh, I just decided I needed a little more of a, um, of a, a nice hard rock foundation, uh, under me, something where I could kind of stand, uh, and, and not feel like I was always, always off balance. Um, which in nature of going from working for myself after that long to working for someone else innately threw me off balance anyway. Um, but just from a financial point of view, from a here's what I'm doing from this point in time to this point in time point of view, um, you know, it's, it, was, it was a big jump uh, for me. Uh, so, you know, my studio is, is currently still open um, and I'll be discussing that later as well. Um, but for the past six to seven months. Um, I have been uh, working with a, with an agency locally here in North Carolina um, as creative director uh, with a, a great designer uh, under me. She's been awesome. And just feeling out what that life is after 20 years. I mean, the last time I, you know, I always said the last time I had a job, I wasn't a dad, mm. you know, a job. I've been working, but you know, I do. I know. So, so, um, is there anything else you want to give us like uh, any background for people that they might need to know before we jump into, cause we're doing something different. I'm hoping, um, that this goes well and we'll see how it goes. I'm trying to do the whole year like this. We'll see, um, for pe give people an opportunity to, um, stretch their, uh, I don't know, and give us some tips, some takeaways, and kind of do a, a screen share and do yep. like a presentation. So is yep. there anything you want to tell us before you jump into your presentation? I think, I'm hoping, this is the first time I've done, you know, first time I've done a, an interview in, in quite some time. And, and while this is somewhat different, I also like in this to public speaking, which I have not done in a very long time. Um, oh, Lydia's here. And Tara's here. I know, um, I was about to tell you. So I, you know, I think my storytelling game is, is still on point. So I think I can jump into it. If, uh, if I feel there's some gaps in there, I'll, I'll try to jump in and fill them in. Sounds good. Jump in. All right. I'm going to hit the old screen share. Sounds good. And you guys can still keep doing the chat because I will um, keep list. Uh, I will read it. And if you have anything you want um, to ask him in the middle feel free to interrupt with a yes. chat and i will interrupt him and ask him a question 
Yeah, this definitely isn't like a talk on the stage. It's going to have slides and stuff mostly to keep me focused, but Diane, definitely jump in since I probably won't see the chat in just a second. Share, and are we on? We are. I see it. Okay. Um, so hold on. Let me move this little. Ah, oh, hold on. I'm going to have to exit out for a second just to move the chat window to a better spot. Okay. Oh, you can, ex you can ex like, I don't know, take it off. There we go. No, that works now. Um, so I sort of, I, I talked to Diane. Uh, hello again, everybody. Uh, I talked to Diane maybe a month ago. Can't remember if it was before Christmas or right after New Year's. I think it was before Christmas. Um, a lot has happened in my life, which I'll, I'm going to talk about a little bit on a higher level. But uh, for many years, Diane's been a incredible friend, confidant, sister, everything. Um, and as usual, Diane is one of the great extractor of stories. And I say extractor because she pretty much won't leave you alone until you start talking about it and telling it. So I was like, okay, it's probably time to start talking about this uh, and, and what's been going on and everything. So she said, hey, self-care, mental health month coming up. And I was like, that is actually perfect because I don't want to talk about my work. I don't want to talk about my process. Like, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I'm not in that headspace. Um, so, you know, when we talk about, you know, self-care, there's, that's obvious, it's a buzzword now. Um, and it, it, it always plays into when you think about like, oh, make sure you're drawing or make sure you're exercising or eating or taking time and space for yourself and all this stuff. And yes, that is self-care. Uh, I'm going to kind of talk about it in the way of a story in a different way. Um, and I always look at self-care, at least in the way I'm going to talk about it, as self-compassion, right? Um, so being kind, trying to be kind to yourself or being kind to yourself in the face of maybe the world or situations not being as kind to you, you know, how your, your inner monologue goes. So uh, first, hello. Thank you, Diane, for having me back. It has been several years since I've been on, so I'm super appreciative to be here and to see all sorts of my friends, family, uh, in the chat. It's awesome. Uh, real quick, who am I for those who just jumped in? I'm a designer. I'm an illustrator. I'm a speaker. I'm currently president of AIGA Raleigh, and I know some of my board peeps are in the, uh, in the chat uh, who just make doing that fun and make it easy. Uh, you'll notice there is a, uh, an omission from some of my recent things on there uh, for, of what I do, and I'm going to discuss that in just a minute. Um, right. So we're going to talk about my journeys. Um, you had alluded at the beginning, Diane, that, you know, many years ago, I sort of went through a journey to get to a certain uh, part. So I've divided this uh, talk up into two sections. And the first one's going to be called my first rodeo, uh, you know, 2010. Uh, I was going through the end of uh, a marriage. Uh, and it was uh, an amicable end. It was sort of a meeting of the minds, you know, two people realizing that, um, we just weren't right for each other, you know, anymore. Um, but we had a, a daughter together who's Bella and we could sort of put her first and sort of did that split. Um, but where this came into play for me was I met her when I was very young. I was, you know, um, met my wife when I was 20 and I was 37. So we're almost talking a decade ago. Uh, I was 37 and uh, I had actually never truly been on my own before. So navigating the start of my design career and career and navigating fatherhood and parenthood and just everything, I had someone by my side, 
right, at, at all times. And I probably relied on them in hindsight a little too much and didn't sort of rely on, on myself to sort of push and, and, and pull and, and do things. So when, when that happened and I sort of like, we made the cut and, you know, she was living by herself and I was living by myself and we were splitting Bella 50-50, I had to sit back and be like, so for the last 10 years, you really were sort of inside yourself. Like I was sort of relying on this one person who was parents of Bella. For those who don't know, uh, Bella was born with a benign uh, tumor on her spine, which rendered her a paraplegic from birth. So we had a very different parenting experience from a lot of parents. So it was a lot of hospitals and surgeries and travel and all this stuff all going on while navigating marriage, while navigating the start of a career. Um, and so through the end of all this, uh, the end being that that separation and, and divorce, you know, I sort of realized that I never really truly started my career. It was more of a a thing that I did to make money in between hospital visits and all this stuff. And I never really found that I actually loved it, right? I was like, I would look around at people on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and I think Instagram was around then. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. And like, how these people are just like, look at my work and I love it and doing this. And, you know, I also now realize, right, that's comparing to the highlight reels in life and things like that. But I didn't have that passion that people saw. And so I kind of stood there, you know, a decade ago and said, okay, you know, if I used to look left, now I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, look, look right. If I'm going to, I'm going to just try to change up the game and, um, you know, play opposite. So where a lot of times in the past, uh, before then, I would just say no a lot, you know, either out of fear, um, you know, or that's not my thing, or I don't have time, some of it being true, because I was a dad to a, you know, a, a beautiful little girl who had some issues. Um, but, you know, by the point that I was, had uh, divorced uh, with her mom, um, you know, those issues are, we're done for the most part, you know, we're on a path, you know, she was on her way to, to life doing great in school and all that. Um, so I sort of turned around and said, okay, I would always say no to things or I'm too busy or I can't do that or I didn't want to do that. And so one of the things I was like, yes, okay, yep, sure. Like I just went into complete yes mode um, to just start accepting things and seeing what it felt like to accept things. Right. And, um, you know, one of those uh, things was that, that sort of that constant fear that I think we as creatives have of being open with ourselves, with our, our work, with who we are. Um, it's been very different in the last 10 years because even those feelings of self-doubt and mental health and things are becoming much more commonplace for us to talk about as evidenced by this whole month's topic. But even a decade ago, it wasn't as much. Um, so just sort of embracing all that. So, you know, where in the past I, I stayed very insulated, I was like, well, I need to put myself like out there in a, in a community, um, you know, and that's when you've never done that, it's a, a fearful thing to do. Like it's afraid to do to walk into a room um, and not know anybody and, and, and not know how to contribute or, or what it's about. And so, you know, I just started saying yes to, to everything and looking at everything. And one of those things back then for me, uh, you know, was AIGA Raleigh was, was the first thing. Like I said, you know, let me go to a, to a meeting and, and, and meet people and do stuff and just start getting involved, um, you know, and, and I did that. And 
it didn't feel by the end of the meeting, it didn't feel like awkward. Like it didn't feel like I was out of place. Mm. Um, I, I felt instantly accepted by the culture that AIGA Raleigh then was just starting to truly establish. Um, and through a serendipitous thing, they were uh, pushing a new initiative called the Pursuit Fund, uh, where they were gonna give some money to a couple of members to pursue something that they've always wanted to pursue. Uh, long story short, uh, you know, I applied, they gave me the money to learn how to screen print. And uh, with nothing, they, they didn't want anything back. They wanted a blog post. And again, me coming in from this place of fear, from this mm -hmm. place of rebirth and regrowth, um, I was like, that's not enough. Like I need to, you know, here's a, what an opportunity for me now to get involved, to be able to pay it back more. Um, you know, so I, I, I did that. I, I jumped into the, to the mix with them. Um, and you know, the, the $1,500 they gave me, um, you know, I've paid back since then by service and volunteerism. Yeah. So I have a question. Did you know anybody in AIGA at this point? Not a damn person. So not a soul. You just went nope. in, you started, I'm just trying to paint the picture for people so that they yes. could get involved as well. So you went on the website and you did what? You went to a meeting? So what, yeah, what I did, uh, I went, there was an event in late 2010, maybe 2009. Amy might know, she's our, our bearer of all knowledge for that. But I think it was late 2010, fall 2010, uh, Vaughn Glitchka came. Um, and I had known Vaughn a little bit just through the internet. So I was like, all right, I'll go to this event and meet him in person. Uh, so I went to that event. It was packed, number one. So wait, you know what? This is the love. I love Vaughn for this too, right? That he is so reachable on the internet oh, that yeah. you feel like, I mean, and you were friends with him. Like I remember yep. I interviewed him and then I went up to him at Creative Event South and I was like, I'm Diane. You might not remember me. He's like, I remember you. We talked for oh, yeah. like two hours, Diane. I remember you. Yep. So I just, but that's, that is to say that the internet you have no idea who needs to feel like your friend, right? Right? Yeah. You have no idea. So the internet is a really powerful tool. Okay, keep absolutely. going. I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely. So I went to that event and just it was packed. And and just there was an energy in the room. I didn't know anybody except for Vaughn through the internet. Um, and I remember the uh, the event being over and you know, and I was leaving. And I remember Vaughn and to then what I assume some of the board members were like walking off to dinner, and I was like, It'd be cool to be able to join them. I wish I knew them. And, you know, so I just went home and went to that. And then I, since I enjoyed the event, I was like, well, let me see what else they have. And then I saw that they had monthly meetings called community meetings. I was like, all right, so I'm going to go to one. And my first one, I can't remember exactly. I could go back and look, but it was either late that year, like a, a November, December, or like a January, February, 2011, you know, kind of thing, um, you know, early on. And uh, yeah, didn't know anybody. Um, and it was packed, like there had to be 60 people in that damn room, so intimidating. But like, at the same time, it was that same energy I felt from that event. Um, so I think that's probably what put me at ease. Even though I didn't know anybody, at least I had admittedly put myself sort of in that public situation before. So yeah, lo and behold, brrr, fast forward, I, I got that grant. I decided I wanted to be, you know, become part of something. Um, and just really, you know, threw myself into becoming part of that group. Um, and I just started showing up to meetings and I started asking to volunteer. Um, I just 
wanted to get my hands involved. And it was a really funny community meeting. There was one night where um, we had like six events going on and my name was on five of the six as a volunteer. Um, I didn't even realize it, um, but uh, they did. And they sort of called it out and it was just this, right? It's always nice to get a little bit of an ego stroke or an ego boost. And it sort of made me feel like, I was like, hey, this, wow, it's actually been like six months and yeah, like, wow. But not even an ego boost, just to know that you were noticed, right? It didn't yeah, have it to be good. like, oh, you're, it's just like, hey, we see you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it feels good. So just, you know, like, so helping. So, you know, that was like 11 into, you know, 2012, just sort of being involved and helping and volunteering a little bit, getting more and more as we were going. Um, and then another thing that I had done, so this is where it comes into the, what I'm talking about, overlapping circles, right? So I just started saying yes to myself. I got over the fear of just trying to interject myself or not got over, but at least I started facing the fear of interjecting myself into different groups or a group to start. And uh, so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm part of this local design community. I was like, but you know what? It was uh, 2012 and I'd never been to a design conference. I'd never gone to one. Uh, and my knowledge then of design conferences, and actually I think it's, it's a true point uh, just not so long ago is you kind of had, uh, I think Adobe Max was around then, but it might've been different. But and then you had how design live and, uh, to this day, I'll still say, you know, maybe it's cool, but man, how is like mortgaging your house to get there? And so it was Adobe Max. I just couldn't ever afford it. So I didn't know, like those were never attainable for me. And they were, took a plane trip. I always took a plane trip. And I had a uh, very healthy or unhealthy at the time fear of flying. Uh, that just wasn't happening for me at that time. But in that fall, I was like, you know, it might be time to drop that kind of money or commit to expand that circle. That's the next kind of bit of fear or whatever I needed to face. So I Googled um, in, in 2012, uh, design conference, Southeast drivable. Cause I wanted to see where I could get to without getting on a damn airplane. And uh, this conference popped up called creative South. That was going to be in April, 2013. Um, and I went to it and I looked at it and the lineup was, uh, Draplin and James White and, uh, Amy and Jen Hood, Raji, Mama Sauce and Sean Wes and Ryan Hammer, just powerhouses. The ticket was $75, $75. I just without even thinking just the price. And I was like, and I saw Columbus, Georgia. So I hit Google maps to see how far Columbus, Georgia was. I was like seven hours. I can do that. I can get in a car for that. Uh, I bought a ticket like right away, right then and there. And I started tweeting about it. Like, this is insane. How are these kind of designers at this place in Georgia for only 75 bucks? <laughs> and uh, this guy that I didn't know who ran the conference started just tweeting back saying, Hey, I appreciate you talking about my conference. Looking forward to meeting you when you come down. And I was like, cool, you know, so I kind of felt like I was starting to like get myself excited about it, right? Fast forward, I go to Creative South 2013. Uh, I meet the, the founder of the conference, everybody's friend now, Mike Jones, and just really put myself out there at that conference to, to meet people um, and, and to shake hands and to just absorb what that community was. Um, and when I learned and came back, um, I started talking to my community, Raleigh, about that community, 
and just I wouldn't stop talking about it. Did you go with a friend though that year? I did. I went with my friend Ashley, um, then Ashley Bennett, now Ashley Morgan. Um, so we went together. So there was a little bit, right? That fear was like, hey, go with me. You know, like, you know, I didn't want to just go in alone. So it's like, at least I'll know one person. Um, and we, while we did pretty much kind of, we were glued at the hip because it was her first conference as well. Um, we both came back with so much new stuff, right? So I started talking about that community to my community. And I even started doing like, I think I did a little presentation on it. But then when 14 started rolling around, I started pushing it as an event and getting, trying to get people to come. Um, and eventually 15, when I was a speaker at Creative South, a lot of the community did come because they wanted to see me speak, right? So I started learning the power of not just taking what your community is, but reaching out to other ones and then starting to draw those lines in between them. In that time, I also went to Weapons of Mass Creation Fest in Cleveland um, and was just blown away by what that was. So it was sort of a urban gritty creative south to me but it wasn't point. it's not as expensive too it's it was, no, a, it, was it was 80 or 90 bucks right same thing um i drove to it uh you know same thing at that point um so right so those overlapping circles i started really learning like what the power of that was and one of those circles because of those conferences now was the internet circle as well right so you meet people here you meet people here you meet people here then you start talking on the you know twitter and all that stuff and you start bringing them um, you know, all together. So as I started doing those things and learning all this new stuff, so, you know, through all that, obviously I was expanding design skills and, and, you know, uh, relationship building skills and things like that. And so one of the things that I started learning was every time I would take a step forward, I would try to look behind me, reach back and like figuratively, sometimes literally pull someone with me. Like, Hey, I went to Creative South. This conference was amazing. Some of these people are going to be in Cleveland. You guys should come. Like, you know, so I started this sort of this process for myself where as soon as I would learn something, I would try to pass it on or teach it to someone, be it a design technique, an illustration technique, or a conference or a friend or whatever. Um, and that's something that I have maintained over the last, you know, decade is every time I try to learn something new, I, I try to immediately see who I can pull up you know, into that and then mm. keep that going forward because that's that, that whole, like, you know, paying for the person's coffee behind you and you hope that they do it and so on and so forth. Um, so just taking one step, reaching back, you know, repeat all plays into overlapping circles. It helps you overcome the fear, you know, cause you're building this, you know, community, um, you know, around you. So for a decade, um, you know, I did that and I, and I, I, you know, I started telling my, that whole story, to different conferences, Creative South being my first. And then from there, I went on to just a ton of speaking events. Um, people seem to really connect with my story after Creative South. Um, and then from there, I went on to speak locally and Weapons of Mass Creation, Hi-Fi, like all these conferences all over the country, um, which also means that Lenny needed to learn how to get on a damn airplane. <laughs> so that was right the last bit of, of fear you know, that I, that I had to, to, to conquer. Um, and I, I conquered it, uh, with the help of, uh, at the time of, you know, probably one of the most influential people in, in my life, my, my then wife, Kristen, and the help of Xanax as well. Um, <laughs> I'd take plenty of drugs. So right in that time, um, you know, I had met someone else, um, and she was very supportive and she was very, um, 
just go and push and, and do the thing. And um, it felt good to have that, that level of support and somebody right at, you know, home, you know, doing that for me and, and, and just kind of going through that. And I was very public and very vocal uh, about my relationship with her. I mean, she was plastered on stages all over the country because she was an integral part of my story of my first rodeo, right? That first slide I put up, my first rodeo. Um, and, you know, it was sort of a us against the world uh, until 2018 um, when it wasn't. And in September uh, 2018, um, yeah, just it, it fell apart. Um, the very shocking, uh, heartbreaking, not even breaking, just decimating, honestly, uh, situation arose. And I'm not going to, you know, some people know, some people don't, um, you know, she didn't die, but in a way she did, uh, to me, uh, and we were no longer together. And having been in a relationship that was so supportive and so just moving forward and where everything was just about just open and love and create and make and support. Um, when the rug was ripped out from under me and it literally was one day I was married and the next day I was not. Um, I literally just, I crashed. Like it was nothing you know, at 40, you know, then 45 years old, uh, you know, through the work I've done, it was my first broken heart, um, true broken heart uh, by far. Um, so, right, this ain't my first rodeo. So that falls into this, this story. I'm going to kind of jump in the middle of the story of, a, you know, it's a story I heard on TV. I think it was West Wing a decade or more ago. It was one of my favorite shows. And uh, there was this episode and it tells a story of, um, uh, a man falls into a hole, right? And, uh, you know, people walk by and he's yelling up for help. And, they, you know, they just kind of look down and they keep walking by. And then his friend walks by. Um, and his friend jumps down in the hole with him. And, 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 he, and he says, what the hell are you doing? He says, now we're both in the hole. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been in the hole before and I know how to get out. So in, in this analogy, I'm both, right? At that point, I was the guy in the hole and looking up just like, absolutely floored um some of the people in the chat uh especially uh some of my local peeps like amy and you know and lydia these people that i reached out to Im immediately mike um you know uh my friend Brittany, uh you you know um dustin lee um you know some of the closest people right through all these 10 years of those overlapping circles and building community at least i immediately had people that i could just grip onto right because it was almost like a almost like a cartoon where the floor falls out and the cartoon character throws his arms and legs up to stick onto stuff. Like that's what I was. And I was like, Jesus Christ, just don't let me fall. Um, which I still did, but I had these people there to, to, to help. So in this story, right, I'm, I'm the man in the hole and the person walking by. So I jumped in the hole and, you know, and I looked at myself and I was like, well, Hey, this one's worse. This one really hurts, but we've been here before we've been in the situation where, a lot of stuff is about to change for you. So let's, you know, come on, I know the way out. So at that point, I pulled myself out of the hole. And what I did was I started, um, I'm going to kind of go back. Oops, not that far back. 
right? The take one step back, take one step, reach back and repeat. So I was doing that with myself again, especially the repeat thing. So I was like, okay, let's just keep going forward. I've got this community. Let's just keep pushing into things, keep myself busy. So for end of 2018 into most of 2019, I, I tried to repeat. Okay. So I tried, you know, let me just get, you know, I've got my AIGA community. I've got my creative South community. Um, let me just do that status quo for me, right. Of doing what I do best. Um, I prided myself in that last decade of becoming a really strong community builder um, and, and being very grateful and blessed for that people allowed me into their lives and then allowed me to bring them into mine and into other people's and other people bringing me into their lives, right? Um, and so I, I did that to, for mo a good half of 2019, um, but I started feeling and even seeing myself uh, withdrawing, right, from those communities that I built and those people that I built, sort of just very slowly, but it was enough for me to start noticing it, right? Um, and in the fall of 2019, right, so we're not talking an incredible long time ago, um, you know, I was doing a little bit more uh, withdrawing, and I started, like, talking to myself, like, this is something's not right. You don't withdraw. Like, that's not really what you do. It's not that it's bad, but, you know, when I'm talking to myself, it's like, that's not what you do, man. Like, this is weird. Um, and it was in uh, September or October, we were having one of our community meetings, AIGA Raleigh. Again, right, uh, for those who don't know, uh, one of the ways I got involved was I got involved and I've been on the board for several board terms. Uh, my current term is president of, of, the, of AIGA Raleigh. Um, and so I was leading one of our community meetings. Um, and that community meeting was at my own studio. So you couldn't have a combination of safer spaces of my place with my family, right? My people, my community, you know, um, in that make up the larger community of AIGA. And I was up there and I started to give our spiel and inside fight or flight kicked in. And I've never had that. And I was having a pan, a full blown, full on panic attack up there. And I'm standing up there talking with 50 people, you know, looking up at me to give what's going on and activities. And I'm up there in this safe place and inside my body is screaming, get out. And I didn't, I kind of like pushed through. And at the end, I, um, I, I left. And like the next day I realized that um, I needed to take a step back. Something was wrong. Like something was wrong for me to have such a visceral opposite reaction to everything I'd done for 10 years to rebuild myself and to sustain myself. And um, I immediately contacted Amy, you know, who's the vice president on the board. And I said, I, I have to take a leave of absence. I, I'm, something's not right. I'm losing, I feel like I'm losing my mind a little bit. And uh, I was like, please. And then I let the board know. And, and again, the power of this community, like, go do your thing. We've got you, you know. Um, and, and I did, I just, I pulled the lever. I pulled the lever on AIG at Raleigh. 
very slowly throughout 2019. I sort of had been going digitally dark, mostly because I wasn't ready to publicly share my heartbreak. It was at such a visceral, painful level for me. And also I was so public with the relationship with my now ex-wife. Um, I was a little embarrassed, honestly, you know, at the time. I'm not now. I was then um, because I, I sang from the mountaintops about this love, right? And then it felt like I jumped up to the mountaintop and was like, just kidding, you know, and it was, <laughs> and it was just it. I couldn't, like, there was all sorts of conflicting things. And I think it really came to a head at that, at that moment, at that community meeting. I don't know why, especially being a safe place, um, but I, I kind of liken it to this talk that we have about introvert versus extrovert, which is really just a matter of our batteries, right? I'm an extrovert, ENFP-A. Uh, thank you, Lydia. She's the one who did our Myers-Briggs test way back, but uh, ENFP test A, and I'm 99% E, man. I am like extroverted as they come, um, you know, so, so I'm out there and, and, I, and I push into it. And so to feel that withdrawal and everything was just so very foreign, but I liken it to batteries. I just have, as an extrovert, a much larger capacity battery than an introvert for putting myself into social situations before I need to recharge. Every, even an extrovert needs to recharge. Um, so I kind of looked at myself as having a 10 year battery, right? Um, and it, it must've just depleted. Um, and so I, I sort of said, okay, I, what I did the first time, which was the reverse of everything I'd done the decade before that, I'm gonna do again. So instead of saying yes, I started saying no. Instead of getting around people, I started staying away from people and not in a negative woe is me, but in a, I realized that for the last decade I had built myself up with people around me to help prop up. And I helped prop people up that I think I had a little bit of a, a deficiency in being able to do it for myself, right? To be able to sit alone and process and do things for myself, which is important no matter how, extroverted and how many friends and family you are, you can't always have people around you. And there's going to be those moments in life where you need to sit back and process it yourself. Yeah. So the other thing is that it's really hard sometimes when you've said yes for so long to say no, because people expect you to say, and you also, there's guilt, there's inner stuff, but the people who really love you and are going to support you, they want you to take care of yourself first. And I think that there's yeah. There's definitely, um, we're lucky enough to be in a community and in an, in an industry that really does value people's um, uh, mental states, I guess. You know, we Absolutely. understand where people can, can have a hard time. But I can imagine that all of that with ha dealings of shame or embarrassment or feeling like you're letting people down, all, all those, those things really take a huge toll. And it's really hard because instead of just feeding into that and not dealing with some of the, the stuff that you needed to do for yourself, yep. uh, it would have been easier to just keep on being for everybody, right? Yes. But you, this is a really big, bold move that you did, I think. And, and my body gave me a physical reaction to do it. It wasn't just a mental decision. Like, like I said, it was a panic attack. It was fight or flight. I had to get away. Um, it was very obvious. Um, and you're right. I, I went through a lot of feelings of, of shame and embarrassment and, and all this stuff. Yes. 
So Mark said, Mark Bowden, um, when you spend that much time with a person, you find out the relation and you found out the relationship is a sham. It makes you start questioning what else in your life is a sham. I love that this is so true. And what makes Absolutely. and it makes you wonder if you're the only person who didn't know it was a sham and you feel like an idiot. And he said yep. that's at least how he felt. So I'm I Absolutely. totally we're right there with you. Absolutely. And it's um you know, at that moment I started to go through an identity crisis because I was like, holy crap, am I not this person? Am I still this person? Like was was everything I was attached to 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 Kristen, my ex-wife, you know, like it, you just because you start questioning all that stuff. Um, and so so I did, you know, withdraw and I did purposely withdraw. Now again, the the power and the love of this community is, you know, they understood and they let me, kind of. They still checked in, they still texted, they still called. They 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 would check in and say, You don't have to answer. I'm just letting you know that I love you that I'm here, call me if you want, you know, you did that a lot. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, one of the things that I did do, because so many people did come out of the woodwork, what can I do? And, and I just said, just check in on me every once in a while um, for my own well-being. Um, but also that's the only thing I could figure out how to do and, and stay. Cause I didn't want to say nothing. Like if I said, no, I don't know, there's just something, nothing. Right. So I, as I started doing uh, kind of like absorbing into that solitude, um, and if anybody here has um, ever faced a true addiction, like a drug addiction or anything, and, and come clean from it, I, I don't mean any disrespect when I say this. It's only a uh, an analogy. I liken it to what I imagine withdrawing from a drug would be. I know that's a much more serious physical thing in that being alone was at times almost physically uncomfortable for me for that stretch of time. We're talking, you know, almost two months for me of like not going out with the group of people that I've been going out with and engaging with the community that I've been engaging with. And there were like nights I was sitting at home and I literally sometimes would be like, like, I was just like, Oh my God, what am I? You know, like I felt like I was going through the shakes. Like, you know, you see it in the movies and stuff like that. Um, and that started to get like less and less. And I started to in enjoy what that solitude was giving me. Um, and it started making me want to sort of go back out a little bit, but I wasn't ready to go back out with my design community and my creative community. I, I knew I wanted to go back out with people who had started or who had experienced what I experienced in just heartbreak. Um, so I started actually engaging with a new community at home, which was very much just like a singles community but not like a dating app. It wasn't like a Tinder, Bumble, you know, community. It was literally like a Facebook group, local people, a singles group that was meant to be there sort of as just a support group, a social group, not a dating group, not a meat market group. Um, and I just started going out and just going to some of their events and things. And it was really interesting because I had those same feelings of fear and uncomfort that I had the first time I was going to AIGA meetings. But as I was going to those, and starting to meet people and exchanging stories, I started feeling that same feeling of positivity and acceptance and healing from this, from that group, right? I was, I, could I have gotten it from my current community? Probably and maybe, um, but something told me to seek out something different. And really by doing that, it wasn't much different than what I had been doing the decades before. I just drew another circle, right? So I was talking about those overlapping circles before. 
and I drew, you know, another circle. Um, I don't know if this one will actually be an overlapping circle or a separate circle. Um, and I'm thinking and almost going to intentionally possibly keep it a separate circle because what I've realized is I went through such a, an emotional and physical change this last year because of this um, that I'm realizing I might need to write if I was in finance, I, I might need to diversify a little bit and have another safe space to go, right? Um, and being able to pinpoint exactly what I need at what moment and not feel ashamed that perhaps this one set of friends and community might not be able to give me what I need inside and this other one can, right? And when I started feeling that way and getting back out with that other group, I came back and started it becoming part of, you know, I, I, I stepped back up to being president again. Um, Amy and the board just knocked it out of the park, you know, and kept things running smooth as, as they do all the time. Um, you know, I've hosted two more community meetings and, and the last one I did, I felt like me again, standing up there. I felt the confidence that I had, you know, again, um, and, you know, and it's led into me even reaching out to you about talking. I actually reached out to Scotty Russell and some other friends about getting back and starting to talk about this story. So what I'm doing now is sort of pinpointing what I need from where, blending where necessary, and then pulling from all these different experiences into sort of this new hybrid version of, you know, what I think I'm going to be. So now I'm feeling much more confident as we enter this new decade and this new year and uh, the other thing that comes with pinpointing is I, I, I said, okay, in the last 10 years, when were you happiest personally uh, and professionally? Uh, personally, it was a little harder one to dictate because the last 10 years I was with, you know, with Chris. And uh, so I'm still working on personally, you know, how I'm going to sort of navigate into that. Um, but professionally, for me, it was very clear that when I was happiest was when I was drawing and illustrating and doing children's book illustration and even pursuing that, you know, a little bit and realizing that I could still grab on to something and be happy and have good feelings about it. So I've sort of made a commitment to myself moving forward that anything that doesn't give me that level of happiness, um, I'm going to get rid of it, right? And so I had a good friend of mine, a mentor, former AIGA Raleigh president, Joe Schramm, say sometimes when you're going through this, you've got to do something that you can't take back, right? You've got to do something that you, um, <laughs> somebody's looking at me through the window, sorry. <laughs> um, you got to do something, I'm in a co-working space. You got to do something you can't take back. You have to burn it and then you have to blow it up. Um, so effective uh, last week, I started the process of closing down and shutting down my screen printing studio. Uh, and, I, and I'm working through that process of, of making that happen and just completely getting rid of it so I can sort of just shed the physicality of it. Um, and it's gonna allow me some maneuvering room to sort of feel like I have this freedom to choose, right, where I want to go again. Um, and that's, you know, kind of brings us to this, right? So now what? Um, that's literally where I am right now. You know, um, almost every talk I do um, doesn't actually have an ending. Um, I tend to talk about things when I, I, I'm at the three quarters mark, maybe. Um, I think there's power in there. Because um, number one, I think it's good for people to know that um, you don't have to have all the answers. Oops. 
you don't have to have all the answers. Uh, you probably won't have all the answers. And if you get in front of a group of people and say, here's where I'm at, maybe you'll get some answers. Um, so right now I'm just in that, that reinvention process. Uh, and that, and that's where I'm sitting. And this isn't thank you as in goodbye, because I know we got questions and we're going to talk some more, but I always do a thank you slide. So that's kind of what I've been going, going through and, and what I've been dealing with and how my first rodeo was about pulling everyone in and what worked for me better for my second rodeo um, wasn't pushing people away, but it was sort of retreating um, and evaluating um, what I needed specifically and working through the uncomfortableness um, through the uncomfortableness of, of that retreat. So Steph had a question. Yes. Um, and then we're going to dive into some of the questions quickly. Yeah. So yeah. first she says your WMC talk in 2015 is still one of the talks that changed my perspective on life, life, especially that month after when my own world went through a major upheaval, my own huge heartbreak. I know you've told, I've told you before, but it's worth saying again, your talk was one of the things that kept me going. And that's why I love, I also love, Steph didn't say this, but I also love that even in the middle of the journey with the shaky legs, you're still willing to share because sometimes there's yeah. somebody else that's going through it that needs to hear that you're a little bit further ahead on the same path and they can get through it, right? Because this is right. trauma. Take um, one step, reach back right. and try to pull somebody forward, yeah. Right, so then she says, that being said, the question I have is just as, is that just as someone with a very small battery and poor recharging skills, what were some of the things that you did to recharge besides expanding your circles and embracing solitude? Um, really what recharging, I mean, embracing the solitude was what recharged the battery enough for me to put myself in a, the mental state of realizing that I might, needed, might have needed to look for a different circle for a specific thing. Right. So when I went to this new circle, I didn't talk about design and art and all the exciting stuff there. I talked about my heart and my heartbreak and the, you know, the, the shame, honestly, and embarrassment that I felt at the time of being like, oh, awesome. Now I'm a twice divorced guy. So I'm now a pariah, a romantic pariah, right? Dealing with all that stuff. Right. Um, you know, and those are the people that un truly understood, not that people in the other community haven't gone through heartbreak and, and those kind of things. But it was sort of like I needed to immerse in it. In, it's sort of a master class, right? It's like I'm going to go like all the way in. You want to learn how to make logos? You're going to go to a you know a Draplin workshop. You want to learn how to fix your heart? I'm going to go talk to heartbroken people. Um, you know, and people have come back and and working through that. Also, Steph recharged my battery. Learning that I it was okay to say, hey guys, I'm going to step away from you for a moment to talk to them to come back to you for but myself. But it was also that you went through that withdrawal of you alone, um, that you didn't physical. just, uh, that you went through that. Whoa, buddy. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, kicked, I, kicked it, I kicked the tape. Earthquake. <laughs> but like, I think that that was a really important thing that some people would avoid that really uncomfortable and just go straight. But you really did a lot of self-reflection. Yes. And you forced yourself to do something that was needed, but also uncomfortable, even physically for you. Physically. My battery had been so just running constantly for the last decade um, that it was almost habitual, right? So again, that breaking that, that habit 
um, which is why I likened it to at least what I've seen from like addiction on TV. Again, I know that's a, a whole new ball game for people who have gone through that. But it's the, the best analogy that I could think of. All right. So this, this could be for somebody, not only somebody going through a divorce, it could be somebody who had been let go from a job that they'd had for 10 years or 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's still some things that happen that still feel that, um, especially when it comes out of the blue, it feels like it, it's such a, what? Like, you know, it's hard to do. So losing a partner, a child, a family member, or going through the, even the loss of a home. I can imagine the people in California with their mm-hmm. houses or the people in Australia. The, that is, it's a lot of loss. And it's, I, maybe it's not the same, but I would think it's like the same because you have to reinvent who you are and who, what your things are around you. And so what would somebody, I know you, you told us what to do. We reached out, uh, you know, and it was just, it was just that keep reaching out every once in a while. Was mm-hmm. there anything else that from somebody who you see somebody going through something like this, what else was something that somebody else did that really made an impact for you that you think would help somebody else? Um, so real quick, just to go to that point of why I told people to just reach out at that time was also because I was scared that I would permanently run away because I was so emotionally distraught at that point. Mm. So by telling people to reach out, I, I was giving myself a safety net of like, at least they won't let me go away because I was scared that I might just run, like run, run, right? So just to kind of tell you, that's one reason that I said reach out because it was actually out of fear. Um, mm. Not that I would uh, be forgotten by others or, or, you know, but that I would forget myself. Mm. Um, and could you repeat the last part of the question again? Um, well, what else could, was there anything else that somebody else did that you didn't expect that really helped you? And then Matt Wood has a question. Yeah. Um, so Dustin Lee, um, always a great person to talk to and listen to. Uh, we, we talk all the time, mostly through Marco Polo, just cause we're busy, but we're, so we're talking, it's a conversation. Sometimes the reply is just a few hours later. Um, but like he would listen and he was just without even me realizing it, he's a sneaky little son of a, um, he was like, Hey, so awesome. He's like, so I've got this thing that I'm, you know, know, with retro supply that I'm trying to do. And I think you'd be right. And what he did is he sort of tricked me into like working and like doing things. And like, so while this was ironically happening, like I released my first product, right. Which was my screen printers toolkit. Um, and I, and I worked and, and, and he was giving me like design work and like print work at the time and stuff like that. And uh, I think he knew what he was doing, but like, to me, it was just like, he was distracting me. Right. And he was just kind of like, he was distracting me, but he did it in a way that also still allowed me to feel some sense of fulfillment, have a connection with him. Cause I had to like, if he sent me a job, I had to do it and contact him and get in touch with him. And so he, you know, in a way it was very sneaky, but he didn't allow me to sort of like retreat from him, you know, cause it had things and he'd be like, all right, dude, I'm calling you tomorrow. I need an update on the product. Okay, cool. Call me to let, you know, cause I was in that shell shock mode. Um, you know, cause with, with losing, you know, the, the, my wife that I did, you know, it was, it was her house. So I was, uh, I was homeless for eight months. Um, I lived at my parents' house and in Airbnbs for most of 2018 and 2019 or part of 2018, 2019. So he recognized that and was just keeping me busy and keeping money coming in, right? And just trying to like to do that. So just 
I don't know if it was intentional, but as I look back, um, it felt intentional now because it, it helped kind of push me through things and gave me a focus other than my life is over. But it's also Dustin doesn't do charity work. You, I mean, nope. maybe he does. You, so, but it, not like this, not with his business. If he nope. gives you a job, it's because he knows that he can make money and you can make money, right? Yeah. And, and, and we have, and, it, and that's what's interesting is it, you know, throughout all this, throughout the most mentally turbulent time of my life by, by far. And, you know, I'm talking, you're talking to someone who's put his kid into the hospital for surgeries. Like this was more mentally turbulent than that. Cause at least there, I felt like I had like a team of doctors and like sanity and foundation around me. This one, my whole foundation disappeared. Um, you know, I released this thing and put this thing out that I was never able to do when I was like on fire and doing it. So like I did this whole new thing when I was at my worst, hmm. that helped me get back to my best. Cause Dustin and I actually have made a lot of money off that product, like five figures worth of money each. Um, so we've done really well with this. So, you know, that was huge just to keep me focused on something different and money never hurts. Right. Right. Well, and it's, <laughs> it's good to have some successes and it's also good that he, can see something and sometimes it's really good for somebody who you really look up to to see yeah. that there is something in you that maybe you can't see but he can see or yeah. she can see right whatever it is okay so here's matt's question first he said sorry you had to go through all that question looking back what out of your own choices not your partners what would you have changed they sound like they were all positive up until that point saying yes moving ahead reaching back was there anything in your life that you would change so, so they weren't all positive. Uh, so would you have changed? They were all positive up to that point saying yes. Um, what I would have done was dig harder um, to try to pull communication out between both of us um, as far as, you know, um, my partner. Um, if I could, if I had, you know, and, and this is all ifs, you know, and, and, I, and I've definitely, I'm not in the spiral of ifs, you know, like what if, maybe if I had done this, um, but what I would have done differently was was dig deeper and not settle for the classic. No, it's I'm okay. Answers, mm. from, you know, from from my partner, because um, I was you know on edge from her being like that, and so her saying I'm okay, I just w wanted to accept it because it was the easiest way for me to feel like okay, she's okay, we're okay, we were not okay. Well, and I think that this could be for anybody. So say it was a say it was a spouse that died. And you have, you're a Bella and now Bella's saying those same words. I'm okay. You mm -hmm. would say to that parent, you need to dig, you need to get, you need to open that communication because there's no way that kid can be okay. Yep. Exactly. So, so really taking a look at the bigger picture and not being okay with just the, the answer that doesn't make it uncomfortable. Right. right. And that's Matt, you know, to, to further address your question, that's what I did when I had that panic attack. I, I dug, but I did it to myself at that point. You know, I couldn't do it to save my marriage anymore, but I could do it to save myself. Um, you know, so, so I dug and, and I proposed uncomfortable situations. You know, I proposed to myself, I proposed things like leaving the design industry. I, to myself, right, to talk about those things, like, okay, well, what does that look like? Let's not just be like, that's stupid. I proposed not going to Creative South this coming year. Like, you know, do I not do that? Because this is when I was at the beginning. I proposed all that stuff to myself so I could dig at what would make me feel that way and process it. 
and then make the a more emotionally informed decision. So Andre has a great point. He says sometimes people keep it to themselves because they think they have to fight it alone. And that's a big mistake, especially in relationships. And it doesn't matter if it's a working relationship or if it's a parent child or if it's a spouse or it's just best friends it's yeah. always good to keep that open so we're almost out of time and i know you got to go back to work so i want to i still want some questions answered no do, so, do it to it i'm fine all right so mental health and self-care is the focus of the month so i really appreciate you being second on the docket here yeah. so why is talking about mental health uh tara and i talked about this a little bit it's a little bit easier for women to talk about it so yeah. it's really ballsy that you come on and you tell this in the middle of the story with the shaky legs as you're still going up the mountain right at the you know as you're starting up that journey yeah um but why is it important to you to talk about mental health you know so if if we align it to you know my presentation about my first rodeo and my second rodeo you know in my first rodeo I talked about it a little bit you know it wasn't as much a mental health thing as it was just sort of an, a new life thing um, I think for me you know this time around when it truly was my mental health when I had moments of like I actually thought of like am I is this what am I going insane do I actually need to go to a hospital like I literally actually at one point thought about like maybe I need to go to a hospital because I was feeling that you know um, and then the panic attack and then the solitude and through here, mind you, I was, and, and I'm seeing like therapists and talking to people. So I didn't just like go at it alone, you know, in the, in the wilderness with an ax. Like I was talking to professionals as well. Um, it's number one, destigmatize, right? Because it's, it's not an unusual thing. Um, as a matter of fact, I would venture to say that every single person in this room has a mental health issue of some kind. Right, and it's this destigmatizing the word mental health issue. A mental health issue can just be I'm sad today. Well, you're having a mental health issue today, um, so it's just sort of destigmatizing it. But it's also to, I think, to from my point of view, let people know that as much as it's okay to 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 surround yourself with people and talk to people, that it's also just as okay to not do that if that's what makes you feel better as well. Um, you know, and just to tie it into the, to the month, uh, Tara and I, Tara, 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 sorry, Tara, and I. Tara is T-E-R-R-A. Tara, Tara, right. <laughs> um, we talked a lot over the last year. We were going through a lot of similar things, and we were doing a lot of texting and some phone calls and, and, and sharing of, of things. Um, <laughs> she's going to let it slide. Um, we were there for each other a lot even just on a text level, just we would text each other all the time. I'd be sitting there. I don't know how the hell we would do it to each other, but I, I'm just going to say it because I'm going to say, I shit you not. Sorry, Diane's mom. Um, she would just text and be like, Hey, I need you to know that you're awesome. And somehow it would be at the moment where I actually wasn't feeling awesome at that moment. And I would just ran and we would go weeks sometimes with nothing. And I'd just be like, I think of her and I'd be like, Hey, I bet you're shining bright today. You know, sounds cheesy when you say it out loud, but when you get that message, if you're not feeling so bright that day, um, it makes a huge difference. Um, so, you know, when we talk about mental health, it, we, uh, it's also just very little things that make a huge difference. Huge difference. Doc and I do that randomly. He just always knows when, and I just think it's a God yes. thing, but, but I, I, 
mean. And you know what? It's it's a whatever it is for your belief right. system thing. It's a God. It's a coincidence. It's a right. universe, and that all that is okay to you know to to think. Right. Okay. So we have an anonymous question, and I love this question, and I actually want to answer it too. But and and Tara says you made a big difference in her healing, and she's very grateful to you. Oh, she made the biggest in my. And uh, it was my mission because uh, she was going through, you know, she told her story last week. So I, I know I'm okay to say this, you know, financially things were hard for her last year. Um, and I felt it was very important to make sure that she stayed part of our, our community and everything. And, you know, so we worked hard to make sure that we could help her get to Creative South. Um, I wanted to do it for her, um, but entirely selfishly, I just wanted a damn hug from her. Um, and when, when we saw each other, uh, the first day of Creative South, I kid you not, we started crying as we were walking up to each other. Like we actually, like, it was like, okay, 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 <laughs> okay. Because like it had been a year of just texting and talking this emotionally heavy stuff. And now we were there in front of each other, like to, for human touch, you know? So hey, what's the anonymous question? Okay. As a tried and true introvert, how is the best way to reach out? And I love this question. Oh, this is so... Even as not, even as an extrovert, I feel this too so much. So I'm fighting this as well with you, in anonymous attendee. It says I've had moments where I want to reach out to my circle, but I'm afraid that I'm burdening other people or making them uncomfortable, and instead I just fold into myself. Mm. Right. The short and quick answer is how do I reach out, and that's any way whatsoever whether it's a tweet, a phone call, a text, a note, if it's you're near somebody, like any way possible. So then the bigger part is if you feel like you're burdening someone or, you know, that one's harder. I mean, that one's is more of a personal, right. You know, introspection. The only thing that you can say, and sometimes it doesn't help is just, you're not burdening anyone. The, the people around you, they may not know to, check into you to check in with you you know so that's one of the reasons that i did tell diane doc dustin lydia ain't all these people to just text me and check in with me um because i probably wouldn't tell them when i needed them and so i just made i gave myself a fail safe to make sure that they did um so the first part is do it any way possible doesn't matter the second is just know that you're not burdening anyone i also think what I would say, because I also think this is a really, I, I mean, Anna said, hey, I didn't ask that question, but I totally feel the same way. I mean, I felt that way. Like, I feel like mm, I can't share this because, yeah. but I really do feel like here's strategically, this is what I do. I don't just tell one person because I feel like if you unload just one person that, that could be if a burden possibly, if you, but there has to be safe people and you have to tell them that they are one of only a few people that you're sharing this with mm -hmm. so that they know so that when like if my friend tara not tara from last week my best friend from college right so if <laughs> tara says diane i'm going through something i need you to answer your phone like i i need to know that because otherwise it's like if i'm talking to my mom i'm not going to get off the phone to get tara right so sure i need to know so I think that one, you need to tell people where you are. And I think you did this really well. You said, this is what's going on. I'm not telling anybody if I need you. I, I just please reach out. And if I reach out to you, please 
please call me back or please yep. would respond. And I think honestly, if you do that to not just one person, but if you spread it out, I would say three to five maybe, but three might be for an introvert, that might be the a max load. But I yep. think then you will realize, and I would share, hey, I, I don't want to burden you. And they will, so this is the one of the best ways to build bonds is to ask for help, is to ask for something. And I would say, just ask, you know, yeah. just, but tell them where you are and tell them what you're dealing with. And you need to trust that people um, will tell you if they can't, if, if they can't be there for you. So my friend Kim, she's had something going on and she's like, Diane, I just can't do whatever, you know, we, we would talk every day. And, um, and I was like, I get it. Like I have had other friends that have stuff going on. I don't love you any less. So I just send her texts every once in a while. Right. Um, and sometimes she responds and sometimes she doesn't. But the same thing is, is that you just have to know that it's not about you that they're not responding. And Dustin told me this the other day. He was like, did you know that most people, it's not malicious. People just can't think like that. They don't think three steps ahead to be like, oh, I'm going to ruin her day. Right. Yep. They, you just can't. People don't do that. It's yes. usually as a, yeah. a lack of laziness or it, it, they didn't even realize they were doing it. So they're not trying to hurt you. So you have to kind of step out and be like, is this reality, right? Right. But you also have to tell people that, hey, I kind of feel like I'm going crazy. Could you respond to me and let me know? So I think telling people where you are and also yeah. trying to tell at least more than one person. Yes, yep, and I did. I, had, I probably had 10 or so. Um, just, yeah. And they seemed, and they had impeccable timing. Right. And so Doc says, there's no way you will be a burden on people that care. And I absolutely agree with that. Yes. And Jason Karn, he says, I feel that too. That's really hard. I don't want to ask anybody for help. I still don't know how to do that. And I think, I really do believe that you need to find people who will love you um, and who will walk down in that hole with you that yep, will not try to get you out and won't send you down. Um, you know, there was a story about a donkey in a well. And did you, have you heard this story? Is it the same as my man in the hole story? <laughs> no, not really. And I think this was a true story. Now, granted, I don't know. I think a lot of things are true. So it might not have been true, but it's nice to believe this was true. So anyway, this guy's donkey was in a hole, whatever. And he's like, uh, well, I'm just going to bury him alive because I just think it's, you know, he will just die and it's going to be terrible. So he just started shoveling dirt in. Well, the donkey would shake the dirt and then eventually, and he would step down the dirt. And so then he eventually, him and the donkey got himself out because he was shoveling enough dirt in that the donkey could pat yes. it up and get out. And I think that, um, cause there's no, ladder a donkey can climb up i mean right. maybe not this donkey <clears throat> but i think that there's i i just love that story but we need more people who are around our well that are helping throw dirt on us right yeah but hopefully not with the intention of killing us <laughs> right 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 well i still think you know you thought one thing right yeah you think that there's this one solution and then bam out of the you you're like, oh, I didn't know that this skill 
this whatever, the shaking and patting the dirt was actually going yes. to be my survival, yep. right? Love so Matt, Matt Wood says, when your boat is, is, is sinking and you send up a flare, are you worried about who will see it and how that will ruin their cruise? Oh, man, that is so true. Or do you really, do, you, do I really need help? That's so true, too. Let yeah. those who see the flare decide. Mm, that's a great one, Matt. And maybe that's the best thing. Maybe it may be the best thing in their life to help at that, at that moment. Excuse me, I didn't mean to burp. I'm sorry. That's the quote of the show. <laughs> it hit not the Burt part. The other thing <laughs> is really good. All right. So, <clears throat> um, uh, what kind of self-discovery? Cause that was the other thing you said that really made a difference. Um, that you really dug into some self-discovery in these things. So you said you did some like the Enneagram you did, Myers-Briggs, had you already done those before or did you do those during this time? Um, the Myers-Briggs was a while, like a year and a half ago. Actually, the Myers-Briggs was before um, everything sort of exploded. Um, I'd done it since because generally things don't change that drastically, but I wonder, you know, and it, it came out exactly the same. Enneagram was somewhat recently. Um, honestly, even like just looking at like astrology compatibility between signs and things like that and just sort of just being more in tune with with that stuff listening to myself so like I don't want to go out it's not me being lazy I don't want to go out and I'm not gonna go out you know things like that just sort of like I'm past that point of feeling like I'm letting people down if I don't go out or if I don't do something um so I can charge that battery for the right moments so choosing to do because you want to do, not... Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, this will be our last question. What was... Because I think most of the other ones we've kind of covered. What was, <laughs> Sorry. I'm laughing at Lydia. <laughs> what did Lydia say? If you start blaming things on Mercury, I'm going to call that out every time. <laughs> okay. You mean like eating too much fish? Dolphin? Mercury? <laughs> no, Mercury retrograde. Oh, I don't know what that is. What is that? It's basically like, I think it's like the something with the moon or the, yeah, the planet, yeah, planet like cycles and everything. Like when it's in a certain thing, you know, people go crazy. I love Lydia's like, it's make-believe, Diane. Okay, I gotcha. Um, all right. So um, why was, what was the biggest change you saw in your life as a result of this recovery or this discovery? Also, it's recovery. Um, I don't think I've hit it yet, so I couldn't answer that. Okay. I mean, I could say what it's been biggest change in my life because of this is the loss of a partner, um, you know, from, from that and just sort of that, that foundation. Um, I mean, I guess the biggest change, if I want to say what it is as of right now, was the realization that solitude is important to me and so is being with my community, where before I wouldn't have said solitude. Um, but the big change, I don't think that's happened yet. And I think it's coming. Well, good. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for, um, thank you. for doing this. And I really appreciate everybody staying with us and, um, doing this together. And I appreciate I like so, the talk. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And next week, just so you know, we have another Raleigh guy. I think he's, or he's in Durham. I don't know. Taylor. Taylor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, no, he's on our, uh, he's uh, director of Uniting People, AIGA Rally. 
So Taylor cashed in, and if you were at Creative South last year, you might have heard us talk, but he's going to give a few more points, a few different things. Um, so make sure you tune in. It's not the exact same thing. And if you weren't there, then maybe make sure you come. Um, but he's had AFib, and he's 28. And I think it's hilarious. My mom had AFib, but she had like her appendix taken out and she didn't even know she was in AFib. She's like, I don't know. I don't feel it. They're like, ma'am, you're in AFib right now. And she's like, I don't, I don't feel anything, but he really felt it. And this was self-induced AFib. And unfortunately for us in our industry, we really like stress and we really like procrastinating and we kind of do it to ourselves. So I think for Taylor to be so young, that he had to deal with this and really had to change his life um, is been it, he and he's bold about sharing this story and he has a great gave a great talk um, last year so I am excited to share that with you guys this la next week so I hope you guys will join me next week for Taylor cashed in and talking about AFib and I just appreciate everybody staying in and just know that this is a community of people that you can, um, and you guys, if you don't know, there's a Facebook page for Design Recharge. You feel free to come and share things on that page. And there's a YouTube channel and you can join live. Clearly, if you're here, you're joining live. But for those of you watching on YouTube, and then obviously you can listen to it um, on wherever you get your podcast. And I just appreciate if somebody else needs this, maybe it's not a designer. I don't think this is necessarily a design focused um, talk. I think this is just a human focused talk. Yep. Um, but just like Tara last week, Lenny still had to make money. He still, there wasn't this, you know, loads of money coming from his parents or, you know, Bella wasn't just raking in the cash as a photographer. Right. Um, not yet, but it will come for her. Right. It will. <laughs> but you know, it, it's just, how do you keep going when you, when you have a loss? And I'm just glad that we're starting off the year this way. And I really appreciate you guys. I am so thankful that you come every week and you, even if, if I don't see you in the chat, um, if you come and you listen every week, please send me an email. I would love to know. And if you're in that space that you need people, we can, we can get you people. I, I am people. I have a phone number. I, it's on <laughs> all my emails. You can text I am people. me, right? We can, we can be that for each other where I think people, are not as hard to reach out to as you think. So no. anyway, and please reach out to me. Um, How would they get in touch with you? So you, let me share your things real quick. I'm going to, you say what it is and I'm going to type it in the chat and it will be underneath. If you're in. Yeah. All wherever. the socials are at Hey Monkey Design. Um, Lenny at Hey Monkey Design. And Hey is H E Y in the South people. Not yeah. H A Y. Um, you know, regardless uh, the, the studio isn't Hey Monkey. When that closes down, Hey Monkey doesn't, um, you know, so reach out. Um, I'm very intentional with my time. I will get back to you, uh, but it probably will not be immediately. And I'm okay with that right now, but I promise I'll get back in touch with you. Uh, I'm going to be out there. I, most of this uh, list of people are probably going to be at Creative South. So I'm going to see you soon. Uh, I'm excited. Obviously, last year I was there. Nobody really knew what I was going through. A very small amount of people. Um, this year is a little bit different. Um, I'm excited to just get out there and, and just be even more free, more open and, and more growth minded, you know, with it this year. So excited. Yep. 
I know I had there it because I was coughing. I had it on mute. So I, I'm thankful for this community. And if you want to get involved, just, just reach out and come to the design recharge page on Facebook and, and just start a conversation. And yes. I can connect you with somebody else if, if I'm not the right person for you. Um, but anyway, it's, we're just great together, stronger together as D says. That's so, right. Anyway, thank you guys. And we'll see you next week. Peace, y'all. Love y'all. Hey, that was an awesome episode. It was a long one, but I hope you stuck around. Just so you know, today's podcast was brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash design recharge. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or Kindle, or MP3 player, wherever you, wherever you get that. Currently, I am reading Chris Voss, V-O-S-S, never split the difference. And it is like rocking my world. And I would not have thought this. Like I was like, mm, I don't know. My friend Andrew was like, I think you should listen to this uh, or read this book, Diane. And then my friend Chris is like, keeps talking about this. And it is so, it's about negotiations. And I was like, I'm not into negotiations. I'm, I suck at them. But now I realize that maybe I don't suck at all the things on negotiations, but there are definitely things that I need to, there's parts that I'm really good at and then there's parts that I really suck at. And so it's like, I need to focus on and work on those. And I always think of negotiations as like two people battling it out, but it's really not. It's like, it's just what I do with connecting people. It's like connecting this with this and I'm just, I just see it and I can, I can make the connection. So I'm really excited. I'm really thankful to Chris and for Andrew for pushing me to read this book. It is rocking awesome. And you can always become a patron. You can support the channel and the podcast for even a dollar a month. We will be starting a 15-day challenge and I'm excited. I think we're going to start it this weekend. I'm going to launch it. So if you want to join us, it was really fun last time and we're going to do it again. So, not the same thing, a new thing, but you can join at patreon.com slash Diane Gibbs and all D-I-A-N-E-G-I-B-B-S. It's probably too fast. But anyway, um, you can always leave a review and share the podcast with your friends. If this was a podcast or this whole month is something that you really think this could help somebody just to hear somebody else walking with shaky legs um, on their journey, maybe this is a great one to share. I would love it. That means so much if you give a review. It means so much that if you share it with somebody. And it really does make a difference. So it helps people find it. It helps me to know that I'm doing okay. So I really appreciate it. And um, I think other people really appreciate it too when they get to read a review. So my favorite way to build websites is with the Elementor plugin. It makes almost any WordPress theme invincible. This plugin has changed the way that I've been able to design websites. It's changed the way that I teach. It, it allows my clients to better go in and edit things for themselves. Today I had to make um, a video for a, a client and for a, the old way. And because it was, it's just not um, as user friendly and the old way. And the new way, the Elementor plugin is just, uh, it's, it doesn't like break my brain trying to figure it out. So, so you can get, you can try the Elementor plugin for free. And then if you decide to go pro, you can pick whichever plan you want. 
um, and you can purchase that one. If you want to, you can use this link and then I get a little piece of the pie. Um, it doesn't cost you any more to use this link. Whatever sales they've got going on will be, con they will still be with my link as well. But if you go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash capital D, capital R, and then Elementor, all lowercase, E-L-E-M-E-N-T-O-R, and all these are at the bottom um, of the page or of the video or of the podcast. So if you want to scroll down and find it, you can click on that. And I use Timely. I don't know. I love this app. My friend Karina turned me on to it. It is the app that I use on my phone or on my computer to track my time. And it memorizes things for me. It has this memory option. I call it the stalker option. But I absolutely love it because of this. Because I can't remember how, what I did or how long I was doing something, but it remembers what I was doing, what website I was on, what I was spending time on, what program I was on and what, not just what program, but what project I was on, what project I was spending time on. So it's like at the end of the day, I don't have to remember where I spent all my time. I can just go and track it. And if I don't want to do it every day, I can do it at the end of the week or I can do it every Saturday. would definitely suggest doing it more than that. Um, but I mean, you could do it every month. That would be really sucky probably, but uh, there are months that I have to do that. And luckily I have the plan that allows me to go back six months or a year. It keeps it for a long time for me so that I can go back and track my time. I'll see you next week with Taylor Cashdan. Follow me on Design Recharge on Instagram and Twitter and connect with me and hit like, hit subscribe so that you always will get this. And send me an email. Let me know what you wanna hear. I'm doing some other uh, months of learning and I want to involve you. So if you have a story or you have something that you're struggling with and you need me to do a story on it, let me know. I wanna help you. Email me at diane at rechargingyou.com. That's Y-O-U. I guess I should say that. Hmm. Yeah, anyway, I'll see you next week.